Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which is available all over the place. Here on this pod, we start with a topic that's impacting women, mothers, parents, and families, and then we talk about everything. Today, though, the only thing I want to talk about is what's happening in Texas. Hurricane Harvey is causing incredible destruction for hundreds of thousands of families, and it's going to take years to recover from this. At the same time, Hurricane Harvey is churning up heroes like we saw during Katrina and other natural disasters. Thanks to social media, we can see heroes and sheroes in action in real time. And there are always heroes in every catastrophe, every damn one. And I'm so grateful we can shine a light on them. I'm thinking back to, you know, the stories we all heard during Hurricane Haiyan in the Philippines and Hurricane Sandy on the East Coast. And of course, from Hurricane Katrina, which was 15 years ago this week. Some of the heroes we're hearing about in Texas are citizens who are going door to door to make sure families are okay. I'm watching videos of neighbors who created human chains to get a laboring mother out of her flooded home and into a waiting rescue truck. I saw another of a midwife riding an inflated swan down the middle of you know the highway to reach another laboring mother. Now, babies don't wait for nothing, and every decent human being on earth and in Texas, will move heaven and earth and floodwaters to make sure they can enter the world safely. This is the core nature of humanity. I don't care what else we see going on in the world. This, my friends, is at our core. We are good people, and we will step up and help every damn time. Now, I wanted to hear from midwives and birth professionals themselves about what they're seeing and experiencing in Texas and how they're working in the birth community. And I was looking around online to find, um, you know, resources. And I was connected with uh, a midwife, Ashley Musel, and she agreed to share what's going on. Hi, Ashley. Hi. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Good. Um, Ashley, can you tell us your full name? My name is Ashley Musel, and I'm a midwife in the Houston area. Great. That was my next question. Who are you and what do you do? Tell us, <laughs> tell us a little more about the work you do. Okay. Well, I, um, I'm a midwife, and I attend home births, and I also have a birth center in northeast Houston um, in a city called Kingwood. And I'm also a part of a couple of different organizations in Houston. And so part of the way I got connected with you was through um, Pat Jones, who is another midwife. And she runs an organization called BIRTH, which stands for Bringing Information and Resources to Houston. And then also we have a midwifery organization here called Greater Houston Midwives Alliance. And I'm on their executive committee. So um, Pat asked me if I would represent both organizations and talk with you today about what's going on here. So tell me, what are you seeing? What is it like there? Well, um, obviously, everything kind of started uh, early Saturday morning when, when Harvey hit the area and we started getting inundated with rain. Um, and it just, our, our area is not really um, able to stand um, large amounts of rain in a very short amount of time. Um, in Houston, there's a lot of bayou systems and things that drain the water off. And so when we get, you know, short thunderstorms and things, there's never an issue. But um, when we get a lot of rain for a long amount of time, like we have the last few days, 
we we're just not equipped to handle that much water. And so um, a lot of areas in Houston flooded. Um, a lot of people were flooded into their own neighborhoods. I was stuck in my neighborhood. The front of my neighborhood had about four feet of water on the street. And so there was just no way you could get a vehicle in or out of the neighborhood. So we were stuck at home. Um, and so was a lot of, of um, other midwives in the area. And then, of course, there's areas of the town that were just completely devastated. Um, there were certain neighborhoods that were, were just underwater. So it's been a lot of um, people reaching out to try and connect with one another, um, especially in the midwifery community. We have a lot of um, women that, you know, were, were near their due date and they're worried about what am I going to do? I can't get in and out of my neighborhood or I can't get out of my area or my midwife can't get to me. I can't get to my birth center, whatever the case was. So there was um, everybody kind of took to social media um, to kind of get get connected with one another. Um, midwives were asking midwives in other areas of the town uh, to try and get to their their clients who were in labor. Uh, it was it was kind of crazy, but but um, it really showed the strength of the community that everybody came together to support one another um, and and try and figure out the best solution for everybody. So are women who had not intended to have home deliveries delivering at home because they can't get out of their neighborhoods? Um, I think there have been some of those. I haven't heard as many cases of those, however, um, as I have, you know, women who are are being evacuated by boat and Mm -hmm. such. If they were planning to be at a hospital, maybe their hospital um, was was having flooding issues, so they had to go to a different hospital. Mm-hmm. I know there was um, at least one hospital that had signs up on the door, and so when a laboring woman um, went to that hospital, there was a sign up that said, we're not taking laboring women, um, you'll need to go somewhere else. And so, um, you know, she had to go to a different hospital, and that wasn't even the hospital that she intended to go to. Um, and so she was just desperate to find anybody that could help her out. Um, so part of what we were doing as a group of midwives was helping um, people to find out which hospitals were open and were taking women. And then a lot of it too was um, we, we started getting phone calls or, or social media messages from women that, you know, weren't our clients, weren't planning to birth at home um, or in a birth center, but they were looking for somebody to help them figure out, um, am I in labor? Do I need to go to a hospital? Can I get help? If not, can somebody get to me? Um, I'll tell you one instance in particular, um, there was a woman who was pregnant with twins and, um, her due date was the following day. She wasn't in labor, but she was worried because her neighborhood was flooding. And so she had reached out to, um, the midwifery community. And so a couple of different midwives had been in contact with her. Um, a couple of us were within 10 minutes of her house, but we weren't sure if, um, the road, if there would be enough, you know, clear roads to get to her house. And so um, we were trying to help her find a way out of her neighborhood because she really wanted to be in a hospital, but her hospital was downtown and there was just no way she was going to be able to get there. Um, And so that night, sure enough, she did go into labor. And so we were able to help her um, find a clear way out of her neighborhood. Um, I don't, I don't think she had to go by boat um, for any part of that, but she was able to get out, get to a different hospital and um, was able to give birth vaginally, which was her, her goal. Um, but obviously with a different doctor in, in a different hospital. Yeah. So um, there's been things like that. Or the other thing is we've, we've gotten a lot of women who have called thinking that they might be in labor, but they, they don't want to risk um, going out in, you know, the, with all the flooded streets and trying to get to a hospital just to be assessed if they weren't quite sure if they were in labor or not. So we've got a lot of phone calls like that too, where they just wanted some reassurance, either that things were fine or, um, yes, you are in labor. Let's try and get you to, you know, wherever you need to go. 
Um, and so we had a, a few instances where, you know, a midwife would, was able to get to somebody's house um, because they live nearby and just to, you know, reassure them, maybe check um, on the baby, make sure the heart tone sounded good um, and reassure the mom that, okay, you're not in labor um, and baby sounds great. Just, you know, drink plenty of fluids and rest and, you know, hopefully you'll be just fine. Um, there was one other one too that um, her midwife wasn't able to get to her, but a student midwife was able to get to her. And so um, she at least had somebody there who had some training. And so she did have um, a, a birth with a student midwife in, in attendance. Um, but that's because no midwife could get to her. Now she was planning a home birth, so she was prepared. Um, but there's been a lot of, um, of, of good and a lot of community helping um, each other out. People are coming together. And you know what? That's what you come to expect with the midwife community. They're, they're going to do whatever needs to be done to get the job done for women. So Ashley, Absolutely. what do you want our listeners to know or do in order to help you do your job in Texas? Well, um, honestly, we've had so many people reach out to us um, from other areas of the state and also other, um, other states. A lot of midwifery organizations have reached out to us. There's midwives in Austin and Dallas who have offered to um, help our clients if they've been displaced, um, either with prenatal care or with deliveries. And then there's been midwives across the nation who have offered to send us supplies um, for the things that we've been using to help all these women out. Mm. Um, one of the things that I've been doing the last couple of days is I've offered free prenatal care um, in my clinic for women who are unable to get to the doctor's offices. A lot of offices were flooded, and so they've been closed for a couple of weeks for repairs, and these women are not sure what to do. Um, they're worried. They're not sure if the stress that they're under is affecting their baby or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so they've, we've had a lot of people the last couple of days coming in just to make sure that everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And I've been giving them just a, a quick little prenatal checkup, um, something that they can bring to their doctor's office and say, hey, I, I had an exam. Everything was fine. Great. Um, yeah. So we are using some of our supplies for things like that. Um, and so a lot of midwifery organizations have offered to send us um, supplies, send us diapers and things for pregnant moms so that we can help those who have lost um, a lot of things. Some of us, like we, um, in our office, we've um, offered to be a distribution point for breast milk. Uh, there's been a lot of, of women who are um, coming to us and saying, hey, I have an overabundance of supply. I'd be happy to donate for moms in need. And so um, we've set up a distribution point here at, at my birth center um, and I know some other midwives across the, the city have done the same thing and offered to just be a, a point where we can collect it and then redistribute it to women who need it. So just real quick then, if somebody who is listening to this podcast wants to reach out and, um, you know, offer to help in some way, how do they do that? Um, well, I'm happy to um, field any calls myself. If um, you want to have somebody get in touch with me, um, I can give you my phone number is 832 832- Five one zero six three six two. They're welcome to email me, although uh, phone is a, a lot easier to reach me at right now. Um, and and also you could reach out to um, Pat Jones or or any of the midwives in, in Houston. Really, um, Darlene Scribner is another midwife um, in Houston who's been um, a great um, point of contact for a lot of different places. Um, I don't know her contact information, but she's down in um, southeast Houston. So her part of the city was hit a lot harder than we were on the north side. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Ashley, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and describing the circumstances. And thank you for the work you do in the world. Appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you. Ashley, thanks so much for painting that picture for us of what's actually happening there in Texas. Midwives are sheroes of the highest order. Now, of course, it's always women and families who are living in poverty or in the margins who are the most vulnerable right now. Hurricanes impact everybody, but the fewer resources you have, the worse off you are during natural disasters. And we've seen that play out all over the world. A lot of us are wondering what we can do to help. And the best answer is this. Donate money to reputable organizations that are working directly in the flood zone. And donate blood locally so that national blood banks have ready supplies for people in Texas who need it. Go check out the Red Cross and your local hospitals for more information on that. There are a lot of organizations that have great responses and reputations doing really excellent work. And I like Charity Navigator as a good resource to find out where your donation will make them be- the best impact. So go check out charitynavigator.org before you donate. Two of the organizations whose work I really love the best in the world are Every Mother Counts and Circle of Health International. Both organizations focus on meeting maternal health needs and reducing maternal mortality, both in developing countries and here in the United States, by increasing women's access to life-saving resources. Both organizations run tight, efficient little teams and are able to provide direct services to women and girls in areas of deep need. Every Mother Counts was founded by Christy Turlington Burns, who I met through CARE, gosh, going on about 10 years ago now, I think. Later, I wrote for Every Mother Counts for a bunch of years, and I know their mission, and it is spot-on target for impacting change in maternal health settings and saving mothers' lives. During my time there, I had the chance to meet with and interview people from a lot of different organizations, including the founder and executive director of Circle of Health International, Sarah Bonds. Circle of Health International provides disaster relief, emergency supplies, professional training, and then some, in areas all over the world where poverty is deep or emergency situations are dire. They focus on maternal and reproductive health, and that includes right here in the United States. And they are um, doing a campaign in partnership with Every Mother Counts right now to provide relief to mothers, women, and families who've been impacted by Harvey. And in fact, Every Mother Counts is providing an emergency grant to Circle of Health International so that they can meet the needs of marginalized women in Texas. And that's what I want to talk about um, for the rest of this episode. But before we get Sarah on the phone to tell us more about it, I want to ask you all right off the bat to go over to everymothercounts.org and make whatever donation you can. They've just made an emergency grant to Circle of Health International, as I mentioned, to help mothers and women in Texas during this hurricane. And I want you to go help them to help moms. Now, let's get Sarah on the line. Hi, this is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. It's Jeannie. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I am doing really good. Where exactly are you? I am in my office in East Austin, Texas. Now, you and I met in Austin a bunch of years back, and then we've spoken several times on the phone. And every time I talk to you, you are doing something incredibly inspiring. And I introduced you earlier um, 
as Circle of Health International's founder and CEO, but now I want to ask you the first and most important question. You ready? Yeah. Who are you and what do you do? Well, first I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and then I'm an activist. Mm-hmm. Then I'm an entrepreneur and a founder. And I'm lots of other things. I'm a wife and a daughter and a Jew and a Buddhist and uh, an aspiring pastry chef. <laughs> I'm a lot Ooh. of things. Um, so what I do in my paying job is that I run Circle of Health International, which is a U.S.-based humanitarian aid organization. We're, our headquarters are in Austin, Texas, where I live, and we work in all over the world in humanitarian crisis settings focusing on moms and babies. We work in maternal, reproductive, and newborn health. But what do I do really most days is talk on the phone, write email, write grants. Some days I am in different parts of the world raising money. Some days I am in different parts of the world training midwives or pediatricians or doctors. And if I'm really lucky, I'm in a room where a baby's coming out to meet the world, if I'm lucky. That's a good day, isn't it? It is. That is a real good day. Yeah, yeah. So you're in Texas. And I know that um, one of the things that I I really admire about um, Circle of Health, and do you call it do you say Circle of Health International every time, or do you say C O H I, or how do you call yourself? No, no. We say Coe, C O H I. Got it. Coe. That is so much easier. Yeah, so much easier. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, as I was saying, one of the things that I really admire about you and that um, about Coe and that you share with every mother counts is that you are looking globally. You're not looking at just developing countries. Um, where the need is very, very deep. You're also looking here in the United States where there is, you know, just on a normal day, a deep need for help in maternal health care for women. But right now in Texas, it is extreme. Well, we pride ourselves in Texas on the extreme, extreme barbecue, extreme politics, extreme commitment to tacos. Um, (laughs) And, you know, Texas has been ground zero for reproductive rights in this country for a really long time. A lot of people don't know that this is where Roe v. Wade happened. The woman who is Roe um, was in in Texas, and the attorney who represented her is at the University of Texas, Sarah Weddington. Um, So, you know, I'm sure there were actions in Texas before that, but I think that's what really put Texas on the map as far as um, the, the long long fight um, to get women access to reproductive health care here. And it is yeah. it is very, very real for us here. So, you know, we've been fighting that fight for a long time. Um, and that's and, just your Monday. That's just your Monday through Friday fight. Right. What, what you're dealing yeah. with right now in terms of the aftermath and, and the current crisis of Hurricane yeah. Harvey is what? What are you seeing? What's going on? Tell me. Yeah, there's just a lot of trauma here right now. People are really freaking out. It's scary. I think one of the one of the elements of natural disasters that we know to be true is that this has nothing to do with how much money you have or what your education is. Um, this happens to people. And it happens to people all over the world, and it happens to people regardless of all of those things. So I think that is that is scary to know that you can do all the things right. You can work really hard and your family can still be threatened in this way. So I think people are here are really feeling that. Um, 
also people here are really feeling the like, all right, it's here. How do I help? I live right here. What can I do? And, um, you know, we're uniquely positioned in that way to be useful in South Texas right now. So uh, I think our staff, well, actually our COO's family from Houston is living in her house now because their house is underwater. You know, we are, we're immediately impacted, but we also are gifted with the capacity to be useful. We have professional skills that in this context can be put to work. And I think that feels really good. You know, it just feels good to do something, to get up every day and be like, oh my God, the news, oh my God, the world, but I'm just going to go to work and I'm going to do my, I'm going to put my shoulder to that rock and I'm going to just try to move it a little bit today. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're really yeah. lucky that we are able to do that. Yeah. It's all about gratitude, isn't it? And yeah. I was just, you know, talking, I was talking before we got you on the line today a little bit about um, the heroes and the hero stories that we're seeing coming out of, you, you, you see and hear them every time there's a natural disaster, but um, the immediacy of social media right now, it means that we're seeing real life heroes. And I, it, it's tragic that they have to be it, but there is nothing more inspiring than seeing people step up to their own heroism. It's yeah. inspiring. And I, think I guess... In Texas, we could use some of that. You know, we um, this is a very divisive state, and um, it's a very red state. But all of the urban centers are blue, and it takes 14 hours to drive across this state, east to west. Um, it's a big place. One of the cities alone has 6.6 million people. Houston. So, you know, we have a lot of divisions in this state around immigration, around racism, around education, around a lot of things. So it's, I think one of the gifts that a disaster like this offers us is the opportunity to put all that down and just be humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're seeing that we're, we're seeing the, the videos and the images of that rolling across our feeds. And I'm, I'm grateful for that part of this. Yeah. So tell, tell me how Koei is helping. So, um, as I mentioned, our mission is maternal reproductive health. So we're always prioritizing expectant parents, new parents, new babies, little bitty kids that are medically fragile. Um, and we also work with a lot of other marginalized populations. So survivors of human trafficking, survivors of domestic violence, immigrants and refugees. And those last two in Texas are, is a pretty heated, um, population to work with. So, that is what we are doing now. Um, we are identifying the folks in the evacuee population who meet those criteria. Um, and then we're talking to them and getting a little bit of their story and how's it going? What are your needs? Um, and then to the ability that we can, we help address those. So we've already given out our first round of cash grants to evacuee families who meet the criteria as I just described. One of them actually had a scheduled C-section she evacuated on Saturday um, from her home in South Texas, was in a hotel with her two small kids and her husband, had a scheduled C-section for yesterday and was able to make it there, even though her car was destroyed. Um, and we were able to give her some cash to help with that. So, you know, right now, all the shelters in Austin have the supplies that they need, um, although we are always taking supplies. but. Right now we're waiting for the water to recede in Houston before we can even get in to be able to address the, the, you know, the non-monetary based needs 
in that city. Um, I, I heard right. this morning 7,000 more evacuees are headed to Austin today. Um, I'm not sure they're here yet. So we were going around to the shelters in Austin every day and doing our interviews and um, getting getting what families need to them as quickly as we can. And so it's also our model, um, we, we hire evacuees themselves. So today and tomorrow we are hiring a coordinator who will work for us for some amount of time, two weeks, two months, depending on how long this response goes for us. And that person's job will be to work with the evacuee liaisons that come to work for us also for a two or three week period. And then they serve as sort of the point of contact in the shelters around the state to help us get a sense of who needs what, where. Um, you know, being in a shelter is really um, demoralizing. Um, it's boring. You don't have a lot of control over your fate. Um, you don't know when food's going to be there. You don't know when the supplies are going to be distributed. So to offer people even just something to do, to have a job in the time that this, you know, they're going to be displaced or in the shelter is a real gift in and of itself. And then it enables us to make sure that this response is appropriate and it's meeting the needs of the people who are immediately impacted in their own words. That's a smart approach. You know, it doesn't work for external factors to come in and apply a solution where that's not the solution that was needed. The people yep. that are experiencing the crisis are the ones who know what they need. Yep, absolutely. And that is that is how this work should be done all of the time. It is rarely done that way by larger institutions, but because we're small and nimble and have every intention of staying that way. Like our goal is not to become Save the Children or Oxfam. That's just not how we roll. We are right. really happy to stay small and streamlined and to continue to develop our local network so when an earthquake happens in Nepal or another hurricane happens in Haiti or a war happens in the Middle East or someplace else, that we have a network already in place that we can just put those people to work, the people who need the income and who know their communities best. I love it. Thanks. So, um, Tell me about the emergency grant from Every Mother Counts. Oh, thank God for those people, man. They are just like the best donor ever. We love them so much. Yeah, um, yeah. They really are. I mean, I know that sounds like I'm just saying what I'm supposed to say, but if every donor was Every Mother Counts, my life would be so much more pleasant. They, um, So they also funded some work we've done in Syria, and... Um, we just love working with them. So the emergency grant that we're receiving from them is going to cover all of these things I just described, right? So we're giving out daily cash grants to expectant families who've got medical-related needs that they need to, or costs that they need to cover. Um, and it's also going to help us put these evacuees to work um, to provide income for women directly impacted by the storm to... Um, work um, as part of the recovery. Um, there will be other things that the grant covers also as they come up. You know, we're not, I'm not sure what those will be so far. You know, we still are hearing from our allies in Houston in the GLTBQ community in the domestic violence sphere. Um, we know a bunch of babies were evacuated from a very significant, a big hospital in Houston because it flooded and the roof started to fall in. So where we're able to help, we absolutely will. In Houston, those needs are still unknown because it's still raining. Um, but in, so right now we're focusing on the shelters um, in other parts of Texas and Austin and elsewhere. So that's what those funds will be used for. They are great. 
I know. I love them too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a couple of years back, you and I talked about a training program Koei was facilitating. Was it in Turkey or was it in Jordan? You were training midwives to provide emergency maternal health care. Yeah, we've done that in both of those places. I think when you and I were talking, it was in Jordan. I think we were yeah, in the yeah, Zatari so camp too. in Jordan. But we have now also done that in Turkey and Syria. Yeah. And I remember you sharing a story with me about um, some of the midwives that were in Jordan but would cross the border to go deliver babies in Syria because that's what you do. It is. That's what we do. Yeah. I, mean, I saw a picture on the internet today of a midwife in Houston on like an inflatable swan pool toy. I like saw it too. I mentioned it. Just I was like, yeah, that's what we do. Heroes and sheroes. <laughs> yep. I know. You know, sometimes all you can do during a catastrophe like this is just let the shine, light shine where it may and make yeah. sure we reflect it. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think we would all be really well served by turning off the internet at certain points in time. And I think that, um, you know, there's just like there aren't a lot of joyful photos coming out of Houston right now. And there are not. Um, it's probably going to get darker before it gets lighter in the sense that they're now just able, you know, I mean, the water is not going down in many parts of the town, but they are able now to get into neighborhoods where people weren't have to act allowed to or able to evacuate and now I think the body the death count is going to go up and that's very unfortunate um, but there's nothing we can do about that you know what we can do is to just be present to what's happening around us and do the thing that we can do everybody's got something they can do so everybody you yeah know, put away yeah. the phone and figure out what it is you can do to really connect and I just feel like I'm so lucky to get to do this for a living because I, you know, on, a, on a good day, like we're certainly having, you know, giving out those cash grants yesterday and today, like I just, I'm so, I'm so happy that we're able to do this and we are able to serve as the conduit through which thousands of other people are able to help. That's just yeah. such an honor. I feel just so lucky to be able to do that every day. I think that one of the really important things that we should talk about, about the, um, you know, the cash that you're able to hand out um, is a couple of things that what that enables people to do is, you know, act like normal people. They know if they need, you know, tampons or formula or milk or, you know, to pay a doctor bill. They know what they need to do with their money. They don't need us telling them that. And by facilitating, a, you know, just giving them some money like that, they're able to have control over their own lives. The other thing, though, is that so many people who want to do something right now, even with a spirit of generosity, may be a little misguided as to what that something is. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, you know, people will want to send teddy bears or they'll want to send you know, knit caps or the goods, they, they're putting their heart into it and they want to solve this problem. And, but what ends up happening is nobody in this floodland has the resources to take care of it. So yeah. send money. We need money. It's all about that right now. And it is, you know, it yeah, is. it's Americans love to shop. Like that's what we do. <laughs> we have and, and we want to have our hands on a solution. We want to put our hands on something, you know, it's, most effective to give money, but there's that deep need 
that you just alluded, you know, you just mentioned a minute or so ago of actually being able to hand someone some help. Yeah. You know, I, I get that. Yeah. I feel yeah. real lucky. And help that is defined on their terms. And these people have lost everything. Right. They have lost all of the control over their yeah. lives. Yeah. And yeah. who am I to be like, nope, sorry, I'm only going to give you this, this grocery store gift card so you only buy food. Or I'm only going to give you this Target gift card because I only want you to buy diapers and flip-flops. I, I want them to use this for what it's what it's needed. And I think a big part of humanitarian aid work is is missing in this regard. And that we have to trust people like we would want to be trusted. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, we you know, the grown-ups, they let them make the decision that's best for them and their family. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So tell me what else Koei is doing in the world. Give me a little snapshot of where you guys are at. Well, um, so we just finished hosting a training in Sierra Leone with our badass partners, Moms. Um, They are training midwives there. And what I love about the training that they do is that they embed Ebola and cholera prevention in their work. Um, And they have a real strong train-the-trainer model. Um, So... Our team just got back from there. We were there for a couple weeks. Um, our team brought in the menstrual health and hygiene training component. Um, so that's great. We've got another one of those coming up in October. Um, we support an indigenous women's forum every year in Nicaragua, which is just such an incredible gathering of these like, political and social leaders from around the country. But they're not like Harvard-educated MBAs. They're like indigenous midwives. and. Mm-hmm. They gather in this small town in the jungle for five days and they craft their organizing strategies around education and land access and um, economic um, justice. And they all bring, every village brings a midwife. And so in the past, we've been able to train those midwives on different things and we send in supplies. So we love supporting that event. That's also in October. Um, We are expanding our work in Haiti um, to a partner, a new emerging partnership with Planned Parenthood Haiti. Um, and we're going to be working with them and Midwives for Haiti, which we met through Every Mother Counts, um, to collaborate on some family planning specific training for the midwives involved with Midwives for Haiti and the staff at Planned Parenthood Haiti. We're, we'll be offering that training in September, I think. Um, we are training another group of midwives in Syria in November. Um, that's being hosted by this badass feminist organization in Syria. These two young women, one of them just ran for local office and won. She's 26. Um, they're amazing. Um, so we're continuing that work there. We also support one of the last remaining maternal and pediatric hospitals in Syria. It's in West Aleppo. And we just help them keep their lights on. We send funds in. And again, we trust them to use it for what it needs using for paying salaries. That's what the last round that we sent last week did. It paid the Syrian physicians salaries because often, as strange as it is, donors don't want to pay for that. Right. Um, we are organizing a couple peace through health delegations. These are um, volunteer trips that we take to different places where we use the conversation of healthcare 
to shed light on different parts of the world that have tension in them, just sort of innately hold tension. So we have done this over the past 14 years to Israel and the West Bank, and we've got another one of those coming up. And we also take um, delegations to the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, um, where we do tours with Border Patrol, we go to human trafficking stash houses, we meet with different incredible local organizers there to really just help people understand the depth um, and breadth of the tension around immigration and healthcare in Texas. Um, we are supporting the training of a couple um, student midwives in Nepal who are all survivors of human trafficking themselves. And when they return to their villages in one more year after their education, they'll be the first trained midwives in their villages, which is pretty exciting. Um, and I think that's it. So, um, I think that you and I have spoken in the past about the work that you do with immigrants in Texas and about, you know, how families are showing up in the United States, having traveled for miles, hours, days in the most dangerous conditions. And they arrive that, um, you know, wherever you are meeting them, pretty traumatized. And, you know, then I'm, we're all reading headlines these days about the crackdown on immigrants and how people in crisis right now impacted by the hurricane are afraid to seek help and resources because they're afraid that, you know, they may survive the flood, but be caught up and sent back to a dangerous country that they fled. Yep. Yeah. So how do you help? How do <laughs> you uh, talk, Sarah, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was just like a really straight answer to that one. Um, so it changes a lot. You know, when we first started um, responding in Texas to what was then being called, and I'm using air quotes here, the exodus or what did they use? What was the word they used? Like a, like a tsunami almost of, um, of unaccompanied minors into the U.S. from Latin America. And so then their point of entry, one of them was McAllen, Texas. Um, and so on the 4th of July, three years ago, we went down to what we thought was just to help with an assessment and um, to help the local community in McAllen um, figure out, you know, what can we do? This, surely this won't last long. Well, three years later, um, here we're still here, and it's you know it, it changes a lot based on the political context and the and the seasons. Um, so after the election last November the numbers that we were seeing at this clinic in McAllen spiked to 400 a day, which mm -hmm. is a lot. Before that, a big day was 100. Yeah. And then it was 400 a day. And that continued through Inauguration Day, and now it's down to 20 or 30 because um, people are being deported immediately or they are being detained in, you know, like federal detention centers. And so we are trying to figure out what to do about this in Texas, um, specifically to help this population. Way too many of the women that we're seeing at this clinic were fleeing not only gang violence and, you know, what we would honestly call like war related crimes, um, but too many of them were fleeing domestic violence as well. And um, many of them now under the current administration will be sent back. Um, and, you know, we're not a legal advocacy organization. That's not what we do. We, we collaborate with those organizations, but we don't 
provide that kind of counsel. So our job is really just to make sure that the women that we are able and children that we are able to interact with um, have the care that they need. And um, in this particular context in South Texas or in McAllen, um, the focus has really been around providing trauma-based care, making sure that all the clinicians who are staffing that clinic are trained in how to care for people who've been tortured, trafficked, kidnapped, raped, that sort of thing, because most of them have at least have encountered one of those things along the way. Um, and just giving them what we can while they're in our care. Um, the ones who do get into the United States, when they leave our care, they go to the bus station to blocks down, and then they go to wherever it is they're going, Detroit, Oakland, Tulsa. Um, so sometimes what, are, what we're working on is finding them follow-up care. If it's a 37-week pregnant woman um, and she's headed to Oakland, who do we know in Oakland who's trained in how to care for a woman who's seen what she's seen and could provide free prenatal care or postnatal care? So we, we do that as well. Um, you know, of all of the work that we do and all of the hard places we do it, that is the stuff, that is the place that like just crushes my soul because there's no answer. There's no answer for how we, how we change the situation, how we change, you know, we just have to meet people where we are, where they are and be as open and responsive as we can in that moment and then help as much as we can along the way from when they leave us. But it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard piece of work, that one. Yeah. You have a hard job. You have a really hard job. <laughs> and do. before, before we, um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you took a good long vacation this summer and tell me a little bit about that. So last summer was the hardest summer ever in my professional life. We, due to the election, we were raising no money, like none. Um, August of last year, we were 30 grand in the hole. Like we, I'd had to lay off all of our staff. Um, it was awful. It was really, really like, it was just scary. I, but I also, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and nothing lasts forever. So I had just emotionally moved myself into the place where we've had a good run. It's time to shut, shut it down. You know, we'll give it to the end of December and see what happens. And then also in July, when our team was in Turkey for a training, the coup happened. So in the same, on Monday, I laid everybody off. And then on Friday, there was a coup and our team was stuck there. And it just broke me. Like, I just was like, I, I can't do this like this anymore. So in August of last summer, I went to Vermont, as I do. My in-laws live there. And spent hours every day just swimming in lakes, just, like just really moving through the, the emotional attachment I have to my job. And like, who am I as a human if I don't do this? Like, what value am I bringing? And I moved really squarely into the place of like, it's okay. I'm still, I'm still a person that can contribute, even if this isn't what I'm doing. And we'll just write it out. And so it ended up turning out that things turned around after the election for us. And we had a good end of year. And now the staff's back and you know, we're hard at work. But one of the promises I made to myself in those lakes last summer was, I love my job and I want to do this job, but I have to take real vacations. I have to take real vacations where I turn everything off. I unfollow Chloe on every channel. I don't get newsletters. I don't follow him on Instagram. And I'm just going to be where I'm at. And so I was able to really do that this summer because I have an incredible board and an incredible staff. I spent a lot of time raising money so that 
I could still get paid because I have to bring income into my family. So I got a sabbatical grant actually from the University of Texas to take some time off. And it was awesome. I learned how to make a baked Alaska and I wrote a play and I just hung out and I took naps and I read books and I feel great. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we just but have now to. The challenge, the now the challenge is you come back from vacation feeling that way. And then what? Yeah, and then there's a hurricane, um, which, you know, is the nature of my job. So that's okay. to be expected. And I'm good at this, you know, like I really feel like I'm good at my job. I'm not sure how I would apply the like kind of wonky specific skill set I have to a different kind of of profession. So in that oh, regard, I hear you, know, you sister. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've kind of carved out a niche here. I'm not sure what else I really know how to do, although I can now bake a, make a baked Alaska. So that's good to know. But um, yeah, so I'm rested and I'm back and now what do I do with it? So, you know, we switched offices, um, since I went on sabbatical and we're in a wellness center now, instead of like a, a real buzzy social impact kind of place where people were there at six in the morning till 10 at night and lived on coffee. Like now it's quiet and they're a massage therapist. There's a yoga studio right across the hall from my office. I just went and did like 10 downward dogs before I came to talk to you. Wow. And, um, I'm bringing my lunch and my blender every day. The staff thinks I'm nuts, but you know, like I have to fortify myself. There yeah. is truth to that. Put your own air mask on first thing that they tell us on the airplane all the time. And as a mother, as a wife, as a boss, as a humanitarian for the last 20 years, I have put every other human on this planet ahead of myself. And I'm just, I have to stop doing that. I matter too. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I've been still been working out. I mean, I'm only like 10 days back at my job. So, you know, the, we haven't, <laughs> I don't know if we can really say I've succeeded, but I'm still getting to yoga, the yoga studio, like for a good class a couple times a week. I'm still eating well. Um, I don't drink coffee every day yet. I mean, I've had it a couple times, but I'm not back on the like morning and afternoon train that I was on. I sleep great. I put my phone away. Um, at three o'clock every afternoon when I pick up my kids and I don't pick it up again. Well, you know, in a humanitarian crisis, it's hard, but I've still been able to do it for a couple hours a day. Yesterday, I went from three to six with no phone and that worked. Like that was enough time for me to really just be present to what was going on. Um, and these phases don't last forever. You know, like this kind of mania that we're in right now with this response will last another week and then it'll slow down and it'll be back to sort of not normal, but, um, not the crazy um, attention that my email and Instagram and my phone need right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it's yeah. it's pretty um, it's pretty impressive how it's those simple little shifts, those yeah. simple tiny changes that we make that just allow us to um, not lose our damn minds. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, recently, it's been. Um, you know, I, I have, am just trained to live on East or to work on East Coast time, even though I live on the West Coast. No, which means, that's yeah, crazy. But, yeah, but, you know, I'm an early morning girl and you get up in the morning and the first thing that I would do would be to check my email and headlines because it's already three hours later. They're already in the office, yeah. you know, and I realized um, 
recently that, you know what, that is so freaking disruptive to my day. It starts yeah. me off in crisis mode and it doesn't feel good the rest of the day. Yeah. So when you decide I'm not going to do that right away anymore, then you realize actually that didn't really impact them at all. And I feel so much better. That was weird of me to be that hyper responsive. Yeah, everyone's okay if we take a bit of time in the morning. So, <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, oh, simple things, simple things, baby. Yeah, I mean, I put my yeah. phone in the back of the house, and then that's all I need. You know, I turn yeah. off the ringer. I can't hear it. If I want it, I have to walk to it. Yeah. And uh, that seems to really help. A small thing. Like, that's not, yeah. it's not rocket science. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think back to when you were a kid and who you wanted to be when you grew up, are you that person? You know, I am. I don't know how it, it was like the windiest, curviest road. Um, but yeah, yeah, I am. I feel so crazy lucky for that. I'm married to a man who at age eight knew he wanted to be a doctor, and he's a doctor, and that certainly was not the case with me. Um, when I was 15, I read this Alice Walker book, and I walked downstairs into the kitchen, and I said with all the conviction and righteousness of a 15-year-old, Mom, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to help women keep their bodies safe. And I remember she just looked at me, and she, she laughed. She's like, well, good luck with that. And... <laughs> That was absolutely the right thing for that mother to say to that daughter because um, it was it was a challenge. Mm -hmm. And my mother is absolutely my biggest fan in the world, and I feel really lucky to have had all the support I've had from her and the role modeling that I had from her as well. Um, and it wasn't a straight shot, you know. I didn't go to college till I was twenty-seven. Um, I like got through graduate school by the skin of my teeth, um, but I'm here. And I have forged my own path, and that has been hard and scary, and I wouldn't really have it any other way. Yeah. Your mother's comment speaks to you know, just how <laughs> universal that issue is and how timeless it is. Yeah. You just want to help women be safe in their bodies. Yeah, good luck with that, sister. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's the battle. That's the timeless battle of all women everywhere, always. Could we just mm -hmm. be safe in our bodies, please? Is yeah. that too much to ask? No, so it's crazy not. That, it's that, you know, in 1990, the things that the issues are still the issues I am fighting now, they're, they've not changed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. There you go. I'm a chunk older than you are, Sarah, and it's the same. You know, I knew early on that I wanted to be in this arena, and it, it, we're we're fighting the exact same battles. It's yeah. So let me just ask you a couple more questions, and then I'm going to let you go save the world in Texas. <laughs> yeah, I should get that done by the end of the day. No problem. Yeah, yeah. Get on that. Get on that, will you? So mm -hmm. how would you how would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. In relation to my job? Any way you want. Nobody ever told me. Oh, wow. How would I want to answer that? There's so many things, so many like 
thread spinning off on that question to me. The first, the first one that happened was nobody told me it would be this hard, mm. but everybody told me it would be this hard. I just didn't believe them. Like I thought that I, I could do things differently. Um, but then the second place my brain went with that was yeah. nobody told me it would feel this good. And I think yeah. that's a, like, we, again, like this goes back to how lucky I feel to do what I do for a living. Um, and also I guess both of those could be applied to like being married and being a parent. Like I didn't know any of this was going to be this hard, but I also didn't know it would feel this good. I know. I know. Right. That's how yeah. it is. It That's is. Story, I just, I'm so lucky. Like I live in this safe, beautiful place and I'm married to this wonderful dude and we've got these healthy, healthy kids and I get to define the culture of this institution that we're building and we're, you know, on a day like today, we're doing right. And, um, yeah, I am, I am so crazy lucky. Mm -hmm. So then I'll ask you my last question. Where are you in your life as a mom? Um, well, I'm in a really, I'm in a really nice place with that. My kids are seven and eight, two boys, and they are in like, there's, they're just so self-sufficient mm. and, you know, they wipe their own butts and they pack their own backpacks and they brush their own teeth. <laughs> we live a block from their elementary school so they can walk themselves to and from school. Um, on Saturday mornings, they make their own cereal. So, you know, I feel like I'm in this place where. I'm really able to appreciate them more now for who they are, who they are, mm -hmm. and not just this like management of them. Yeah. Um, and having the summer with them was really was really special. And we didn't do camps or anything. It was just me and them all day, every day, and no screens, just me and my kids, and a lot of Lego. And um, they're fun and they're smart and they're kind and they're empathetic hmm. and I'm really I think I am I'm surprised by how much I enjoy them it feels like a lot less work now and more like oh wow tell me about like one of them on the way to school today was like mom what if a piranha and a cow had a baby and, you know, two years ago, I would have, like, been on my phone and be like, yeah, 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 what, Bodhi? Yeah, sure, okay, whatever. But, you know, I'm trying not to be that person anymore. So I was like, wow, would that live in a lake? Would it live in a, tr in a, in a field? Like, what, what would that, how would that work? And so just, like, really noticing them and hearing them and being with them. And uh, I'm having a good time with it. You know, I, I still probably yell more than I laugh, but I'm trying to change that equation. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, you sound like a lucky woman, and it's been really, oh, really fun talking to you today. So we want to make sure. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So we want to make sure that everybody knows that they can help um, – Every Mother Counts, keep their emergency grants funded by he heading over to the everymothercounts.org website and making a donation over there. You can go to coe.org, is that C-O-H-I.org, and make donations over there, right? C-O-H-I-N-T-L.org. So like Circle of Health International.org. Okay. 
Great. And you know, the money that you invest here is definitely going to help improve the lives of women who are in Texas right now. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Well, thank you. We'll this talk was again. A really nice break with the emailing and the, the rest of it right now. So thanks. Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll talk later. All right. Goodbye out there. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Mama said. Our guests today were Ashley Musel, and you can reach out to the Houston Midwife community for help at HoustonMidwives.org. We also spoke with Sarah Bonds, founder and CEO of Circle of Health International, and you can learn more about Kohi and make a donation over at cohintl.org. You can learn more about Every Mother Counts and make a donation at everymothercounts.org. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Email me, jean at jeanfaulkner. Tweet me, at jeanfaulkner. Pick up a copy of my book and thank you for doing your part to help activate your tribe of mamas and parents and take care of families in Texas. We'll talk again next week. Bye-bye.